Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I will be your host. Today on the show, I have Keith Perkins joining me. Keith is a member of Train by Techs. He does uh, training for CTI. He owns a mobile diagnostics programming keys ADOS refrigerant uh, business. He runs a training website, l1training.com, which, by the way, I'll have a link to in the show notes. And so we're going to talk about uh, everything uh, that. He has to offer on this website. So I encourage anybody uh, that's interested in the content that we talk about all the time on this show to check out Keith's website. Um, Anyways, this guy does it all. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm kind of convinced he might be uh, some type of cyborg or something. And it just hasn't admitted that to everyone yet. But (laughs) he's got he's got a lot going on. So we had plenty to talk about. Uh, Really excited uh, to get a chance to have him on the show here. Uh, with that all out of the way, let's jump into the episode. Well, what's uh, what's cooking? What do you got going on? Oh, just uh, busy as ever. Yeah. Obviously, like we spoke about. <laughs> got a lot going on. Yeah, you've got, you've got your mobile business. You've got uh, website training. Yeah. Do you, are you still doing training for CTI as well? Yes. Okay. Uh, writing content for them is what I've been doing mainly since COVID hit. Haven't been doing any in-person training for CTI, but have been still writing content. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, and I mean, your business, you're doing programming, diagnostics, you do ADAS stuff, and then you're doing mm-hmm. keys, keys, refrigerant, the 1234 stuff. Yep. Okay. Yep, just 1234. Yeah. How do you, uh, yeah. How do you manage all that stuff and still have a life outside of work or do you? <laughs> Cur- currently, I've got two super fantastic employees and then my wife also does a lot of the work. Okay. Um, so the way it's set up currently is uh, I don't work in a van anymore uh, with the exception of a um, exotic vehicle diagnosis or um, – Anything that's that's a VSP transaction because I don't have either of my guys set up as a VSP. So, but I just usually ride along with them that day, and we kind of schedule all of the weird stuff for that tech, and I'm helping with Euro. So I'm running tech support all day at the shop, and then uh, my wife Liz does all the ADOS and refrigerant work, um, and then she fields all the dispatch calls. Okay, and then I have two guys named Zach. <laughs> Both with the last name C. <laughs> it's not confusing so at all. <laughs> we got Kreider and Seipert. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so I got Kreider, who who is a he was a Ford tech, and then uh, he worked at Christian Brothers with me for a little while. Super solid diagnostic tech. Does lots of programming. Scott, he, I, I just put him in place of me. He does okay. all the diag. He's he's learning the Euro. Um, that's where I have to spend the most time with either of them in training is is Euro stuff. Uh, and then we've got uh, Zach Seipert, which uh, he's new to us. He 
came from another shop that we serviced. Uh, he's on the Facebook pages, so he's he's known to a few people around. Does a lot of LS swap stuff. Okay. Um, super sharp tech has that has the thing you know that everyone that every diag tech has to have to to just that critical thinking mindset. Yeah. Uh, so we hired him. He's been he's been awesome. So he's he hasn't quite been with us ninety days yet. I think we're two months in. Um, Kreider is coming up on one year in like 14 days ish. So when you left your job working as a tech at a shop, did you, did you see or know, you know, what this was going to turn into? I mean, did you have a big master plan or is it just sort of a, no, no, I got fired. Um, I got fired November the 5th, 2018. Okay. Um, Walked into work on Monday. So it was like, so the, the, the Friday prior, this happened to be uh, the shop I was working at as a franchise shop, pretty large one. Um, they do this thing every year where we do free oil changes for like mothers in need and, and, uh, widows. And, and we set it up through churches. So the churches help identify who needs the help. And then we do all the work for free. So we had been struggling at the shop for a while. I was probably running as a flat rate tech only about 35, 36 hours a week. And I had 10 to 20 more hours than every other tech in the shop. Cause they were trying to feed me. Cause I had, I kind of had a minimum amount that they know knew that I had to, to make, you know, as a, as a tech, you get bills. I've been married 15 years. I have a mortgage. I have two children. I, you know, you have bills. Sure. So we'd come up to where I want to say I was in constant communication with this shop owner for probably five months, just keeping, letting him know financially where I was at, what I was dealing with, with savings and just trying to help him build a shop up. We were cycling through a f- ton of front office staff. Uh, it was like it was crazy because he just this particular franchise doesn't get franchisees that are from the industry, mm. so they, he wasn't finding very good front office people at all that had the knowledge they needed to sell jobs correctly or to even inform the customer. We weren't really big on sales, big on just informing them and letting the customer decide. Um, long story short, we were running down to the, to, to the wire to where I was about to be out of money. I was I, I had told him. 10 weeks prior, I was like, I have 10 weeks of running this many hours before I am out of money and I don't have enough money to support my family. And I'm racked up credit card bills, probably had 30 grand in credit card debt, was just almost out of savings. Been trying to help the shop for the last six months. He told me, you know, stick with me. We're going to make it right. I'll take care of you. All those things. Uh, It's pretty trusting. I had worked for this franchise altogether for almost five years, but at this particular location for less than a year. Okay. And, uh, we come up to the weekend before that, and I it was the 10th week. I was like, hey, man, um, are you going to be able to help me make this 40 hours this week? And he was like, I can't. I don't have the money. And I was like, well, are you going to be okay if I take this weekend and don't come into work for free but go do mobile jobs? Because I've been doing mobile for other shops. We had, I probably had 15, 20 other shops regularly bringing us stuff to the shop I was at to do the programming and diag and stuff for them. Okay. That's how I was staying afloat because if it was my customers, I got to have them. It wasn't going to one of the other techs. Gotcha. And he was like, I understand. I was like, okay. So I left that Friday, went and did jobs all weekend, skipped our day of service that we normally did uh, just to make ends meet, uh, you know, made a couple hundred bucks, be able to pay bills, figure out what we could do next week. Monday morning came in. He was like, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. I think we're going to go a different direction. And I'm thinking that means we're going to go hourly for me and make this work. Mm-hmm. What he thought was is a different direction is finding someone else that he didn't have to pay or finding someone who's cheaper. So uh, that that was it. So I had to go lock out my toolboxes and jumped in my truck and just drove from shop to shop and never stopped, never got slow. It just, it worked out. 
just worked out. That's awesome. But- so I didn't expect it. No, I wasn't ready for this to be what it is. And it was only year, year and a half in before I needed help. Okay. So. Well, that yeah, that's that's good to hear too because I um I know for a lot of the stuff that I do, I mean, even in my career and stuff, I don't really have like a big plan of where I'm going. You know, some people do, and I really respect that. I kind of wish I could do that, but sometimes yeah. I just you know I I get into something I'm passionate about or whatever, and I just do it 100, percent and some good stuff happens. But I don't know where stuff's going. Like you know, I started the podcast. I don't know where it's going. I don't have a big master plan for it, but it's uh, it's yeah. always good to hear, you know, when it just works out for people. If you're dedicated and you're passionate, I know you are, yeah. so I'm sure that's why. Yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't like I took off that first day and I just had all these jobs. I had to, I want to say, like the first four months, I would get up every day at like five thirty, get everything ready, uh, get my truck loaded out for the day, make sure because I was taking my stuff inside every day because I was just driving my Nissan Titan. I just had an extended cab Titan and um, I would put load everything in the cab and I'd be in Tulsa because I lived outside of Tulsa Okay, um, and all my customers, you know, there's not really a lot of shops outside of Tulsa. They're all kind of there. So I'd drive the 20 minutes into Tulsa, map out my day of where I was going to go. And I literally just started, I'd pick one street in one area and just drive and stop at every single shop and talk to them all the way through. And I kind of made that decision the first day I was like, I'm not looking for a job. I'm just here to diagnose car. I, that was my only part of it that was a plan was I wasn't going in and go, Hey man, do you guys need help? And if not, can I help di- diag some cars? I told myself immediately I was not going to go to work for someone because this wasn't the first time I was burned as a tech, you know, trying to, trying to find a shop that was good. Right. And I just, I was like, I'm going to stop at every single shop and just tell them like, Hey, this is what I do. I'm a mobile diag guy. I stop and I fix cars. And, I, and any of them that were skeptical, I was like, look, if you got a car that's difficult, I'll come diagnose it for you. You don't have to pay until we put the part on it and I'll show you it's fixed. And I did that for like the first couple of weeks and it kind of spread, you know, the shop would tell another shop and so on and so forth. And it got to a point where I didn't even get through probably the second weekend. I started getting calls back. Okay. Right. So then I wasn't able to just drive around all day and, and wait for jobs. I was getting them in and it kind of took off. Um, but yeah, I had to put, it was every day from five to, I'd stay nine, 10 o'clock. If I got, I took a few customer jobs in the very beginning, uh, mostly key stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they would call in the evening and I'd come to it, but I tried to stay away from customer work altogether. I did maybe 10 jobs for customers. Okay. Ever. Um, just, it was just shops and, and collision centers. So I was trying to do work for. Yeah. It, but no, no master plan. It, it's always, it's always shady unless it's somebody, you know, like a, you know, personal friend or family outside of that. It's just like, ah, yeah, I don't really want to go to your house or this random place. And why don't, why don't you bring it to this shop yeah. and talk to them and they'll call me in. Um, but yeah, yes, it's, that's what we do. Even today with all of our, like all of our procedures in place and we've got a dispatch line and we've got a big long spiel that we give to customers. I've been running the dispatch line for a couple of days and I got a call like two days ago and it was some guy, and he's like, hey, we're traveling through town. We got this 07 freestyle. We're at blank and blank in and suites mm-hmm. in this town. And it was like a pretty pretty dinky little hotel, uh, probably like a $40 a night hotel. So I was like, he's like, we lost our keys. 
we went into the AutoZone and bought this lock cylinder, and they said it's program. We just need someone to come put it in for us. I'm like, well, I had to explain to them the keys weren't already programmed, that they were going to have to be programmed, that the lock cylinder has to be turned to get it out. So it's going to be drilled out if you're going to try to change them. But, you know, I started questioning about do they own the car? You know, can I just get a do a VIN by do a key by VIN? Is it is it a, a candidate for that, for doing a VSP transaction? And it was, and I told him the price. And it's, you know, to do it, all keys lost is not is not on the cheaper end of keys. And we are not by any means the cheapest in any category. And every it happens every time. You try to help somebody and you get burned. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, here's a deal. I will send a tech there, but you have to tell me now that you are going to be there and that you're ready to do this and, you, and you know, that this you're able to pay for this because I can't send a tech out there. We normally don't work for people. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I wouldn't do that to you. Um, and you know, sure enough, I sent a tech out there. They can't find him, and the the guy doesn't answer his phone ever again. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was like, every time I try to help, yeah. And this is a, you know, this is like a forty minute drive away from our shop, oh, man. from where this guy is. And our guys are out all the time, so they're. It, I think it was like a twenty minute drive from his one shop, but it was still 35, 40 minutes out of this guy's way, out of one of my techs' way. And you know, I pay them hourly plus a bonus based on productivity. So he didn't really lose any money, but you know, he lost the ability to make a bonus on something else. Yeah you know, to add that productivity. So I don't know. I just hate penalizing guys. I hate flat rate. (laughs) What? Yeah. What's your procedure if (laughs) you go to a shop and like they ordered the wrong module or the customer didn't drop off the vehicle or there's a number of scenarios where you show up and you were supposed to do this vehicle, it's not ready or you don't have what you need. Do you still charge the shop for that or what's the procedure there? We do. We have a we have a minimum stop charge that we charge. It's pretty hefty. It's over a hundred dollars. Um, we kind of let them know up front. Now we we have waived that. On, like we we did it twice this week. We had two new customers call, um, and I don't like to hit a customer on their very first call with "Sorry, you screwed up. Now you owe me right. money." So we usually we just we just educate them. We tell them, "Hey, you know, in the future, just so you know, we we charge this much money just to come and show up, even if you don't have the vehicle here, or in this case." Um, they, I think they got a module and the car was a no com. I think it was the last one that he called me about and said, what do you want me to do? And I was like, well, this is the first call for this customer. Go educate them on the, we normally would just charge you this much money and mm-hmm. leave. Um, but we're willing to waive that. Just get another module, make sure it communicates first and then we'll come out. Um, so yeah, we do have a minimum stop charge, but we will waive it for like a new customer. If, if we haven't talked to them about it ahead of right. time. Uh, and it was kind of my fault. Liz is a lot better at explaining all of that when they call. Just so you know, you need to make sure you have the module already installed and all this stuff. And it's got to be in an area where we can plug in and it's got to have a battery in it. It's got to be good. And, you know, yeah, that's because if we don't, it'll be at the back of the lot and no battery <laughs> buried. We can't get to it. No extension cord on sites and it's pouring rain. Yeah. Well, I'll get people to hand me the module and the, you know, they want me to install it and on particular vehicles, that's obviously not a big deal, but some it is some, you got to take a bunch of stuff apart. I'm like, uh, no, I thought you were going to have it ready for me. What's, uh, what's the deal here? But yeah, uh, I think educating them ahead of time, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, so that's actually really cool. Your wife's helping you out with all this stuff too. My, my wife should be terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. Liz is, Liz is extremely intelligent. She will, she'll tell you otherwise, but she's intelligent. Um, she's, she has worked on cars with me our entire, I mean, we've been married 15 uh-huh. years. 
So she's been in the industry with me doing things. She's always been interested in it. Um, she really liked the ADOS stuff. She has now officially done more ADOS calibrations no than kidding. I have. Um, I think I still have a better grasp on it, and she knows that, but, but you know, that's just me nerding out over it. But she's learned programming. She's done a little bit of diag. I have thrown a couple um, no-coms at her that have really stumped her, but she's got the GM no-com thing down. She's good at diagrams with GM. She's kind of really learning okay. them. Um, yeah, she does a little bit of programming, a lot of ADOS, a lot of refrigerant, uh, almost no keys. Uh, only only the two guys' vans have keys, and we have a couple key machines to shop. Um, so, yeah, she's she's not really interest, showing any interest in that, See, which is weird. I, I feel like keys are easy to me. Yeah, well, where where do you go to learn the key stuff? I mean, I feel like it's kind of Ugh. hidden, right? <laughs> it is so cryptic. <laughs> yeah, all the all the locksmith guys keep it really close to the chest. So there are conferences out there. There's like just cars. Um, I've not been to any of them. So I got into keys like every other mobile programmer does. You go to do a Ford, and you got to get a second mm-hmm. key, and you're like, "This is BS." <laughs> I hate relying on someone else. I'm the guy they call, yeah. right? So, like, I guess I'll get a key machine. So I got, like, an HPC SpeedX, just a manual duplicator that does just side cuts. Got it for 40 bucks from an apartment complex that used it for their keys, and then they upgraded, and they had it on sale in the marketplace for $40. So I went and got it and then spent $100 on a new cutting wheel for it because it was all, like, really dull. Did that, got Ford keys. And, you know, it doesn't take two days for you to realize that if you can cut a Ford key, you can cut other stuff. And if you have factory tooling, why not just carry other keys? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of snowballs. You're like, well, now I need high security stuff and this. And then, like, oh, you can do keys? And then they're like, well, do you have a key for this? Like, I don't really have keys for very much, but what I run into. And the next thing you know, you got a four by eight pegboard full of them at the shop. And each fan's got 100 keys in it. And (laughs) you're... Yeah, four key machines in currently. That's that's what uh, I don't have four key machines. I bought one from Isaac, and for the exact reason that you were saying is I'm running the situations to complete programming or whatever. I need an extra key mm-hmm. or you know whatever. And um, now shops are like, oh, you do keys, and they're calling me for more stuff. And I either a don't know whether I can do it or not because I'm still learning, or b can't do it, and so it's kind of a tricky. It's just a whole other world to dive into. Um, I'm sure ADAS is like that too. That's just, it's a whole, it's a whole nother thing. Um, But you guys are tackling all of it. That's impressive. Um, It's a lot of time reading service info. Oh, uh, it's a lot of time reading service info for the ADAS stuff. ADOS and keys kind of just like, how does the system work? What does it take to program this? If we're not familiar with the the manufacturer, Uh, you kind of get, it doesn't take long of you getting into the key thing to like quickly realize, quickly realize what manufacturers are pretty easy to do and which ones aren't. And I, I, like, if you were to ask me if I could do X Mitsubishi right now, I, the answer is I don't know. We'll come out and try. Okay. Uh, I'll get a key for it. We'll cut a cheap blank. We'll try to program it with some aftermarket tooling. Um, then we'll try with Mute Three, but I don't even know the procedure. You know, it's there's some of them we just don't get asked for. We just don't see certain car lines hardly at all. And the ones we do see, we see them all the time. So I, I kind of know my limitations on the Euros and which ones will re- are not usable through OE scan tools, which ones we have to kind of do some EEPROM work. And then most of the domestic stuff we've got down. We know kind of the ins and outs. Uh, just just doing a lot of keys, really, is what we run into. Okay. 
Um, I'm sure if we put the time and money into like going to some of these events, and the only one I can think of right now is Just Cars, and it's a locksmith event that's all about Just Cars. Okay. Right? It's a bunch of locksmiths that do everything, but but they're there for just automotive stuff. And from the information I've seen in kind of the online seminars, even those guys don't really have the automotive side down. They've just found what works and they're showing that. And for us that do programming, some of that stuff's like, man, it's a lot of work. Why don't you just buy this tool and this subscription? Mm-hmm. But, you know, doing keys, they're not going to make the ROI back on on a programming tool sure. or on a subscription. So, I don't know. It's two different worlds. Well, you bring up a, uh, something that I've been thinking about recently is the return on investment for tools. And as a business owner, do you track that for each? Because you're making big purchases on tools, right? And do you yeah. track each the return on investment on what you buy? Um, because I know there's certain things that I've bought, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. One thing that makes me all kinds of money based on what I paid for it, and then another tool where I'm like, why did I buy this? I've used it once. <laughs> uh, do you, do you track that? Yeah, I do to some degree. I, we have a couple that, um, we're looking at specifically Mercedes. We're trying to just determine if the cost, which we know we currently can't justify uh, on its own mm-hmm. is something that we should do anyways, just to continue to support what we have. Cause I really hate saying no, mm-hmm. like when a shop calls and like we have X, Y, Z, but we're, finding a lot of luck with some alternative stuff and, and nothing fishy. We're using like blue link, you know, okay. or, or have an auto logic do it through blue link. Um, we're just with what we can do with that. Yeah. The cost is, uh, you know, 125 bucks per flash. I just still can't see where it makes sense for us with how many we get asked about even, uh, to purchase a, a Zentry at 28,000. It just doesn't, doesn't jive out for me, uh-huh. but a lot of other ones like Volkswagen and Audi, I bought into that and I bought a year of Audi and I think I broke even last year. This year I've done a lot more. Um, just elevating it from using it for just scans, even when we're not doing programming and we're just using it to scan vehicles. A lot of these collision vehicles, it's much nicer to just have an OE tool and an OE scan to show them. So it's kind of got some value in it on its own. Um, so we are kind of tracking ROI, uh, but for the most part, I look at it as a big picture like do I say no enough times that I should probably have this? Even if it specifically on its car line doesn't net an ROI, uh, does it indirectly allow me to keep a customer happy that they know they can call me and use me no matter what? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of got a good way out with Mercedes right now. I, you know, if I can't do it through Blue Link because the vehicle's too old um, or something like that, I, I usually just explain to them the situation. Like, look, the tool's almost thirty grand, and we just don't need it enough to to justify it. Right, and. Most shops get that, you know, it's because because we're dealing with collision centers and shops, they understand ROI. You know, I could ask a shop, why don't you have an alignment rack? Oh, we just, you know, we don't have the space and we'd have to give up this bay that's turning this much a day and we just take them right here next door. Right. It's exactly the same thing I'm dealing yeah. with. Yeah. That's the whole reason they're calling you is because they didn't see right. the advantage to buying yeah, the all ROI. this equipment that you have. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had that situation too where. Like like I said, that tool that I used one time or not very often got me got my foot in the door with a particular shop, and then you know from there on out they call me on a bunch of other stuff that I, you know, that I'm used to doing and I do all the time, and it ends up being a good account for me because I was able to say yes, and you know that's not always going to be the case, but it definitely can make for some good clients here and there if you can say yes, that one no, and then you're out and then you never get that business. So it's, it's good to be able to do that. 
And I, I see a big value in buying a tool that I only use once or twice if it does a really unique job. Um, like, so I, bl- I, I had a Drive Pro and then I bought a Blue Box because I saw one relatively inexpensive for what it was. Um, having the Blue Box, I was able to go do an early 2000s uh, Jaguar programming at the Jaguar dealer in Tulsa. No kidding. So the job was, and I, and I made a video on this, um, the car came in with a solenoid code for the transmission, uh, and the solenoid's in the valve body, and it's got a TCM built on the valve body. It's a, um, a ZF transmission, and it's a 2004, two, three or four, something like that, two, three or four Jaguar XK8. Uh, the dealer installed a replacement valve body assembly with TCM, because it's the only way they could get it. Uh, they were they didn't see any programming options for it because all they had was the Davina device and the Pathfinder device. They didn't have a VCM1 anymore, uh, so it didn't boot up legacy SDD like it used to if you had a VCM1. And so they went to program the PCM thinking the PCM and the TCM would go together, and it bricked the PCM part of the way through. So they got a replacement module, which was – they said their cost was $3,800 for a replacement new module uh, for the parts department. Uh, went to go program that one, bricked that as well part of the mm. way through. So they kind of like got my number from uh, a Euro specialty shop in town that uses me for some programming as well. Um, oddly enough, a Volkswagen specialty shop that doesn't have Otis. <laughs> um, they have VCDS and they think that's good enough. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so they use me for a lot of stuff and they, uh, they, they recommended me. So I came out there and I had just happened to like just recently get the blue box. So I call out logic and I'm like, Hey, um, what, what do I need to do to do this? The Drive Pro is like, it won't even start the program. He's like, no, 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 don't use the Drive Pro. Use your Blue Box. Uh, the Drive Pro is JBox based. The Blue Box uses the older protocol. It should do this fine. And I was able to do that programming on the powertrain control module on a used one, actually. We sourced a used one, um, changed the VIN, kind of did like a PMI sort of on a Ford. We're able to configure it okay. separately. And then went ahead and programmed the software into the, re- the replacement new TCM. Uh, got the vehicle going, did the theft. They had to, they had already got a second key for it, um, did all that, and it was a success. And ever since then, I've probably done 15 or 20 programmings on Jaguars or Land Rovers at that dealer. No kidding. On Jaguars or Land Rovers. Wow. So uh, it turned out to be a good account. Yeah. You know, I needed help the other day on a late model um, Land Rover where I was concerned that my my diagnostic over internet protocol device for, for Pathfinder was the issue and turned out not to be, but I was able to call the dealer, drive the vehicle over there. They attempted to update as well and found out the module was just corrupted. It wasn't, it wasn't anything I was using that was the issue. So that has paid off for me. It's, you know, had to, had to spend a lot in subscriptions, didn't have to buy an extra $1,900 tool I didn't need. Yeah. Well, that I'll tell you what, that is a good point of knowing people at all these different shops, right? And, and whether it's dealerships yeah. or just independents, uh, for me, it's transmission shops because I service a lot of transmission shops around here and yes. also get calls on transmission diagnostics. And I'm not, I've built one transmission in my life and otherwise I just deal yeah. with the electronic portion, right? So when it comes to the inner workings, I, I'm not that great at it. So I'm getting on the phone with some of these guys that are really good at building them. Like, Hey, you know, what's, what's this transmission supposed to do in this gear? Why would it be doing this? Or how's this work? And it's good to have those people in your pocket to, to phone a friend <laughs> when, when, uh, when you need yeah, it. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool getting to know 
all of the different people locally too at different shops too, rather than just being on one island with one group of people, you get to see how everybody does it their own way. And I don't know, it's, it's eye opening in a lot of ways because certain shops will do things, you know, just differently. And you're like, wow, I never thought about that. I never thought that you could do, you know, X with, with Y and it, it works out really well. Um, I've, I've enjoyed that quite a bit seeing the differences from place to place. I think that's kind of the secret to the mobile guys. Because we know so many people and so many others are like, man, you know so much. I'm like, no, but I know who to call. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the answer is I, I know who to call when I don't know. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's the secret of the mobile guy anyway. So so being shop to shop, you kind of get the feelers out. And it comes when it comes time to like like what we're doing with building a new shop and buying shop equipment, I made a lot of contacts. I'm like, hey, who's the best guy for a lift? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, call my buddy Grant. He's He'll hook you up. he they stock them. They'll come install them. Do a great job. Service them. That kind of stuff. So it's pretty interesting meeting all the shop owners and and not just seeing how they run them. Because you're right. Like we we go from one shop that's got uh, it's an amazing transmission shop, cleanest shop period you've been in, especially for a transmission mm-hmm. shop. It's got the guy that runs. It's got signs on the walls that say "Your hands are dirty. Don't touch the walls." <laughs> they don't say if your hands are dirty. <laughs> His sign says "Your hands are dirty. Don't touch the walls." And he kind of runs a super tight ship, but it's a really nice shop. And at the same time, we'll leave there, drive across town, and go into a shop that's got a dirt floor. And it's like, this is where yeah. we're at. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so you, you do kind of see all kinds, especially being mobile. For sure. So your brick-and-mortar shop, what's your plans for that? What are you going to be doing there? So we did have a brick-and-mortar shop pretty close to where I live. Uh, it's a single bay. It was like... I put a, I've used a couple of, done a couple of videos of it and it was like, uh, I think right at 1500 square feet and it just, we outgrew it almost immediately. We're like, Hey, we're not going to use it very often. We're just going to need the one bay for doing some ADOS calibrations at shops that don't have room. And almost immediately shops were sending people to the, to us. And I was like, look, we don't have a lift. We don't do any repair mm-hmm. here. I've got, I've got my tools here, but we don't really do much. Turned away 90% of the work that came in the door. Um, Ended up doing a condenser on an F-150, like one of the last jobs we did out of it. And I just, I was like, we really need to move. Um, so we found a much larger space, another new construction building. So that's got its own little heartaches. We're dealing with internet right now. It's taken, it's going to take probably almost a month to get internet in the building. Because the way the the owner of the property, once it ran, he ran conduit underground with pool cables in it already to, to install because he doesn't want any holes in okay. the building. So there's all these restrictions with that, but um, our brick and mortar is a full service shop. Our lifts going in tomorrow. Um, most of the shelving and stuffs up inside. My toolboxes aren't moved over there yet, but we do have jobs scheduled on Monday already awesome. to be dropped off at the shop. So it's um, it'll be slow in the beginning. We're still trying to figure out what we're going to use for uh, shop management, and you know I got to make a bunch of calls on that, and we have a couple we can use now, but. Nothing that we want to use long term for the customer stuff. We'd like to have a nice DVI, something that looks good and updated. Versus what we're using for mobile is great for mobile, but you know, with no DVI or anything, it's it's not exactly what we want to present to a customer and end user. Okay, okay. Um, what's the what's the hiring process like? I mean, it's going to be different for somebody who's doing service to somebody who's going to be out doing 
uh, mobile diagnostics, but what has that experience been like for you finding and then hiring people? It's uh man, I, I'm the luckiest person in the world, honestly. Um, my first guy I hired, I, I worked with, with him before and he got kind of between a rock and a hard place where he was at. And I decided to take the financial risk and hire him, even though we didn't quite really need somebody full time yet. I was like, you know what though? We can stack his schedule and I can work on content. Mm-hmm. And that worked really great in the beginning. Like we stacked Zach full. I, I hired him. It was really easy. I, I, I worked with him before, so I kind of knew, um, but as we grew and had to hire another one, it did become significantly more difficult to hire the second person because I didn't really know uh, the other Zach very much. I'd been to to the shop and serviced his where he was working at the time a couple times, and uh, and I hate to get you know I don't ever want to take a technician from a customer of mine, but I put a job opening out and he applied, mm-hmm. so I interviewed probably sixteen seventeen people somewhere in there. Uh, it was dismal just as you would expect. Um, I've had a lot of different jobs over the years and I kind of pegged myself as a pretty good people mm-hmm. person. And then, you know, it's pretty good at reading people. And I got some weird vibes off a couple of them and some guys admitted to fraud right within the interview. Uh, one of our competitors, um, that when it hit one of the guys that worked for them came a large corporate competitor okay came interviewed and straight up admitted he was like, oh yeah, if we go out for ADOS calibration, I'll go drive it. If there's no lights, no codes, and it's good, I just charge him for the ADOS calibration and ship it. <laughs> I was like, without doing the calibration, he's like, yeah, if it's got no lights, no codes, I'm like, okay, yeah, thanks, Jeez. man. And then just <laughs> on to the next one, he left. I looked at Liz because we we're both doing it. I looked at Liz and she was like, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, duh. So it was bad. And we, we got guys that, you know, asked questions about field trims like just you know how how do you use field trims what give me one example of you using field trims and guys are like well i don't really use them a whole lot you know i don't really need them for much and i was like okay so you do quite a bit you don't do much drivability i'm the the drivability tech yeah (laughs) doing a long time i'm like all right it's just stuff you wouldn't that would just blow your mind Hmm. and and then i would you know i'd i'd i uh interviewed a couple guys from dealers and i was overall contrary to what I was ready for, kind of impressed. Uh, but we really did cherry pick through through 70 or 80 resumes before we picked a couple to, to really look at. So I, I don't know. I, I think we definitely have a qualified technician shortage for uh-huh. sure. Um, and it was hard. It was down to maybe three or four people at most for us. What we really kind of decided was we just need to find someone that has the ability to learn and that's willing to put in the effort and then we can make them a good technician. Yeah. So with who we have now and we kind of started working with that really great transmission shop I was talking about, they actually do an intern program with the local tech school and I, I'm going to work with them and take a guy probably once or twice a week and kind of just, I, I'm never going to hire this guy. He's, he works there at the transmission shop, mm-hmm. but it'll help me get in the door with getting a couple younger guys interested in this kind of field. Maybe he'll tell somebody else he goes to school with like, Hey, this is, kind of interesting thing where they drive around and fix cars that way. And yeah, I hope to build a reputation and kind of get into tech school that way. But okay, I don't know. I think that's, that's, you know, everyone says it, but I think everyone really needs to actually take it to heart. We, we're going to have to grow technicians. You can't, yep. we're not going to be able to just buy them all the time. hundred percent. I've gotten lucky so far and I got maybe one other person in town that I would like to hire that doesn't want to leave. 
So I, it'll be very difficult my next hire for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing is for a shop too, or you got to start them young. You got to find, you know, yeah. that kid that's passionate about it, that has a good attitude. And boy, if, if they have those two things, yeah, make sure they stick around and, and keep them happy. Um, yeah. Even if they're not very good, because they're probably not going to be very good to start. Maybe you're lucky and they've got some no. some backyard experience with with dad or something. But if if they're interested in it and they show up every day and they're like I said, good attitude, boy, keep keep them around, right? <laughs> um, I you know right, I work with yeah. these kids all the time, so I I try to you know tell shops like that you got to be patient, you got to give them five six years honestly before it's going to be. Yeah. what you expect from a productive technician. That's the only way it's going to work because it takes that long just to get halfway decent at this stuff, you know? Um, but I think that's exactly what I would say if somebody asked how long. I'd say five or six years before they're really going to be usable in a shop and be pro- su- actually productive beyond, you know, what you would expect. Yeah. And not not be more so much work. They'll actually be more They'll make more money than what they cost you. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Exactly, because um, there's there's so much there's so much to learn from this. Um, I know. You can't you can't just hit the ground running and and be productive. But I'm sure I'm sure you know you're out at these shops that are looking for that person. They just want to hire somebody, like say buy somebody that can do it, that has all the experience and come in and make them money, and that that is very difficult to find right now because they're all working and they're all, as long as they have good attitudes, the shops are trying to keep them uh, where they're at. So that's that's a tough one right there. I'm glad you found some, uh, some good people. Um, So you got somebody specific that goes out and does the refrigerant or is that all of your trucks? For the twelve, uh, we just have the one. Liz does all the refrigerant, all the ADOS. Okay, out of the one large van. Okay, except for stuff that gets done at the shop. And then, I mean, I say all the ADOS. Each van has um, a Toyota and a Honda, Honda cone, and a kind of basic ADOS kit because we do so many of those. But I was like, well, I, it was getting to where we'd have one tech out at a collision center doing a diag. They'd be like, hey, we got this one. We just put a radar in. Can you do that? And well, that tech has. HDS in their van, you know. Okay. And they have the capabilities. Like they just need a cone and a box with some with some stuff. It's not that hard. So we did put that in all the vans. But other than that, every bit of the rest of the ADOS stuff is in the one van. So Liz does ninety nine percent of that. Okay. And we've started transitioning Liz out of the van into having our new tech Zach learning the ADOS stuff because Kreider, our the one we've had forever, he's or for the longest, I say forever. We've had for the longest. He he grabbed Ados and immediately just knew what to do. He was he was down. He's got the he's got the thought process down. He's just super sharp. Okay. So we're trying to make sure everyone's capable of it. But for the most part, one van does it. Sometimes Liz and Zach will switch and vans for the day. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we have one van that does refrigerant and Ados. That's that is one van, and the rest of them have the other two have pretty much the same setup of. Uh, OE tooling and Diag stuff. So the two other vans do programming, Diag, and keys. Um, so what percentage would you say for the shops that you service or body shops then? Because so, it sounds like you do a lot of that work. Yeah, uh, probably 
60% are body shops. It's been growing. Okay. If you would have asked me six months ago, I would have said 40%. I think we got a pretty heavy mix of it, and it's getting to be a lot more diag. We have uh, the Boyd Group just bought, so that's Gerber, for anyone to know. Uh, they just purchased a company called Collision Works that has pretty close to 100 stores now between Kansas and Oklahoma. And they've popped up in the last two years, Collision Works did. And they've purchased a ton of the small body one-off single owner body shops and converted them to these collision works. And then they just got purchased by the Boyd group. Okay. So, um, we had done, and I, I preface, I say that to preface the fact that unfortunately, because they've been growing so quickly, their quality control and their technicians have just not been there. So we've had a lot of diag work out of those shops. Okay. Cause they want to fix it right, but they're just, they're not able to keep up with demand. I think, I don't know what it is about cars getting, wrecked if it's worse here in Oklahoma or what, but I feel like there there's a new body shop popping up every week. Sure. We have them everywhere. We have a season for that, uh, for, for body work where it just explodes. As soon as the ice hits, it's, uh, the, the body shops are extremely busy yeah. for the next six months with crashed up cars or cars that went in the ditch or all that stuff. So it, it, there's definitely a, we get that too in the winter. We get that in the winter too, but then once that's over, we get springtime. We have hail. Oh, sure. And then you know, I, I, yeah. And then we have flooding, and then we have I don't know. It just they're always busy. They don't really have a slow time. You know, when it goes into real, real cold winter time, we have ice here too. We don't get snow very often, but we get ice because it'll it'll rain and then freeze and then melt a little bit during the day and then refreeze and uh-huh. <laughs> so I I think I don't know. We're just seeing a ton of body shop work. Um, and a lot more ADOS, okay. a lot more than what I thought. When I first started it, I was like, oh yeah, there's gonna be a ton of this. And it was kind of slow. And I was like, oh, maybe I just over, over, maybe I was just in myself accounting incorrectly for this because, you know, the big problem for us was cars not getting calibrated. that should have been calibrated. Okay. Cause we could go, you could go into anybody's shop in your area, pull their last 50 tickets, look at the car look at the the equipment on the car and then look at the pictures and they're like, Hey, this thing was supposed to have two calibrations. And they're like, Oh, well left with no lights, and no codes. <laughs> so, and that's, that's how body shops still operate today. I'm sure there's some good ones out there, mm-hmm. but, but by and large, it's no lights, no code ship it. So I, I kind of went through this and right now we're writing a class for our, all of our body shops and we're going to present this class for free. And it's not going to be a sales class, but it is going to be a like, hey, you guys are missing a lot of calibrations. Yes, we do them, so it sounds like it's a sales pitch. Uh-huh. But here's here's the position statements. Here's what's supposed to be. Here's why it's important, and they're not getting done. I would I would venture to guess that seventy to eighty percent of cars leave collision centers not complete due to ADOS calibrations alone. Wow. <clears throat> Do you find any space restrictions or shop restrictions for doing the calibrations? Yeah, you got to get creative. We've gotten to where most cameras we just do at the shop now, at our shop. Um, Radar is a little easier because you don't have to wor- really worry about sunlight or weird stuff in the background as much. But uh, we just got to get the clear space for radar and, and a level floor. And most most body shops have a pretty good amount of space and, you, and, and they've gotten to where they understand now. They like, if they're going to call us for radar calibration, they've, they've made space. They've moved okay. things around for us. Um, 
where they call ahead of time. We, we do get one here and there. I mean, we do get one almost every week where we show up and it's got a spare tire on it <laughs> and can't have a donut on here. Yeah. We got to, it's, we tell them, I don't know how much we, how many times we could tell them, like, we are supposed to be the last, you're supposed to be waiting on us before you ship the car. The car is completely done. The alignment's done. They've cleaned it. It's washed. Um, with the exception of a few other few few cars, and we're trying to train them on those when they call about them, like, hey, we need to do this Hyundai. I'm like, okay, hold on. You know, we had a Palisade the other day, and when they called to to schedule it, I was like, hey, just so you know, we have to take the radar and look at the back of the radar, and there's a number on it, and we use that to get the in service information. The last two numbers of the lot number depict a built-in adjustment of angle for installation. Okay, so the bumper has to be off to get to it, and then you have to manually adjust it based on that number and then then you can put the bumper back on and then if it's got a round view camera if the bumper was off that needs calibrated as well Damn. so we go out there and we told them down on the phone and then we show up and the car's assembled fully so i was like all right pull the front bumper back off <laughs> you know and so ones like that we're kind of given the choice you guys can pull the front bumper and then some of them go well we're not going to get paid to do that again i'm like okay if you want to we'll we'll take the car okay we'll come back to the shop and do it we'll just give you one sublet bill for the whole job gotcha you know, that doesn't have bumper R&R written on it. So if the adjuster looks at it, they're not going, oh, we got double build. You know, we just do it all as one cost. What Trying to work with them. What, so when somebody calls you, let's say they call you on uh, 8S calibration that maybe you guys haven't done or maybe you're not as familiar with, like you haven't done as many times. And because you got to check all that stuff that you're mentioning, right? You got to read through the service info and look at all these steps. Do you just mm-hmm. say, yeah, I'll call you back once I look into this? Or what's the procedure there for people that call on these things? Yeah. Yeah. If we're not familiar, if Liz isn't familiar when she gets in and she's gotten to her, she's done a lot of ADOS calibrations now. But if we don't, if we don't know, if we can't look at it, if we will look it up if we don't know exactly off the top of our head, uh-huh. especially if they've replaced a radar. Because like Nissan gets real, Nissan Affinity's hit or miss. It'll be one year model when you replace a radar, you got to configure it. So sometimes we have to put in a request to Tweedle to get the configuration file first because the old one got just smashed. So there's no way to like read the calibration data or the configuration data out of that module. Okay. And so some of them you have to configure first and then you calibrate. And then other ones are just, once they're installed, you just do a calibration. There's no like programming or anything to be done to the module. So if we're not very familiar with that exact one, we'd look it up first to make sure so we can kind of prepare them before. And if we didn't, we would probably 20, 30% of jobs, we'd probably go out there for nothing. Go out there to find out, oh, we, we're supposed to do this first, you know? Yeah, a lot, a lot of wasted time, I imagine. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. You pull the bumper. With, between and- variant coding them and some of them, you got to program them before you calibrate. And some of them are dynamic and static both and there's just all these different you know i really feel bad for the guys that try to get into it without service info that are trying to rely on an aftermarket tool to give them all the instructions i'm like that's really rough yeah because you're gonna run into a lot of situations where nissan's like the one that we see the most we do so many because we have we do so much nissan programming to start with and then we've got these two um, car lot, not car lots, two, two repair shops that work with these wholesaler car lots. And for whatever reason, both these wholesale car lots buy a ton of Nissans at auction that are collision cars. And we have learned the hard way the first couple months to where now we, we have to look it up at a time because we will go out to go, go configure one. And if we don't have the old one, we have to get the configuration file from Nissan. That takes a day or two sometimes. No kidding. Wow. Submitting the, the VIN number and saying, hey, we need the fast file for this radar. 
because it's been replaced and we don't have the old one to pull the configuration data. Because Nissan's factory scan tool consult, when you do one of those modules, it asks you to hook the old one up and you kind of like forward, you pull the information off the old module, then you install the new module and you push the configuration data into the new module. Okay. And that data isn't stored somewhere on the server where you can pull it up. It's stored in Nissan Fast, which they don't sell to the aftermarket and their configuration files that you have to download off of Fast. So we have to submit a request to, to Tweedle, who submits a request to Nissan USA, who then gets the information back, and then Tweedle has to email it to us. Dang. So it's like a 24-hour or longer turnaround. Okay. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's uh, <laughs> That would be frustrating to yeah. go out there and then realize, okay, I got to come back in another day. I, I... Yeah. And if you don't read service info, you'll try to calibrate it first and get a failure to calibrate. Oh. And it won't be a calibration failure that just says, "Hey, it's supposed to be coded first. You know, it'll <laughs> it'll just be a generic like failure. Make you think that you did something wrong with the targets or something, or mm-hmm. there's something broken. Okay. Yeah, so you can you can be hours in a job Damn. before you're like, wait a minute, service info says we're supposed to configure this first. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that is exact. It sounds like something I've done, so <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah, to that. all of us have. That's how do you think I learned? I, I didn't just go, we should definitely read all the service info first. I am a push buttons until the car starts guy, <laughs> which is why often my guys here do as I say, not as I do. Like, Did you read the service info? They're like, they're like, yes. I'm like, good. Cause I didn't. So. <laughs> well, that, okay. So that's, that's a good point is I know I've had situations where normal operation, like nothing's even broken, but normal operational have me wasting time on something. Uh, and I've seen it with other techs too. I went to a shop the other day. It's a quick story. It was a BMW. They called me in for overheating. They said it was overheating because the fan wasn't coming on. Okay. So I come in. It's like a, I don't know, was it 2011 or something? Doesn't matter. It's BMW. Anyways, it's got an electric fan, uh, a relay that sends power to it. And then it's got a, um, a command from the PC or the DME that pulse with modulates, uh, based on the speed of the fan. Right. Okay. So I'm checking this thing out and, I run it and I get it up to about like uh, 225 or so and the fans are not coming on. Low speed fan is nothing. Okay, cool. Um, And I'm going off what they're telling me is that they've been fighting this thing for weeks and they cannot get this fan to come on. It keeps overheating. Um, They put a water pump in it. They put a thermostat in it. They put coolant temp sensor in it. They put a fan in it, a relay, everything except for the computer, which they think is at fault here. And so I'm going through it and I'm looking and I... I have a pulse width modulation signal to the fan and it's 7%. You can measure it on the scope and in service info, it actually tells you that standby mode that is don't do anything fan, but it actually is coming from the DME. So it's like, okay, well that's there. It's not commanding the fan on. Now, if you turn the AC on or if you command it with a scan tool, you can turn the fan on and it changes it to whatever percentage it is to turn the fan on. It does come on. I was like, this is really weird. And so I let it run for a little bit more and there, okay. So there's a message on the dash that says engine compartment, hot caution. Okay. And that, that was the warning. And I know they saw this and this is why I was called in. Well, the fan kicks on, but it doesn't kick on until 229, which is normal. That's the normal temperature that that fan comes on. Low speed is 229. They never waited that long because honestly, at first I didn't either, I got to 225. I'm like, okay, I want to see a fan. You're like, uh oh. Yeah. And there's a message that says engine compartment hot. Well, 
okay, the engine compartment hot is not that it's overheating. It just means that the hood's the open popped. and the they the <laughs> yeah. they don't want the customer the to go running. grab something under the hood. So it's a warning for the customer. So I ask them, I'm like, well, what's the story here? They're like, well, this started, we had to jump start it, and we were running it out on the street or in the parking lot for like 40 minutes, and we came out to this message that it was overheating because they had the hood open with the jump pack on it. And so ever since then, they've been fighting this message and the fact that the fans, and so we like, we like pieced all this together. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with this car. It's, it's completely fine. Cause we did it. We did it <laughs> yeah. like four times. The fan cycled on, it kicked on it. It didn't overheat. It just was, that's how that one works. So anyways, the lo- I guess that was longer than I thought, but <laughs> you know, normal operation can really throw you for a loop sometimes, I think. Yeah, we get a lot of those post calibration because we get a call. Hey, uh, this is so and so body shop. The customer brought the car back. You guys did the radar, but when they put it in reverse, only the passenger side mirror tilts down. Uh huh. I'm like, that's that's because they're backing up, and it <laughs> wants you to see the blind spot. Well, the driver side does do it. Like driver side never did it. They said it did. I'm like, it does not. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> it, like, because. Well, you know, customers get hypersensitive after a repair and technicians do too. I mean, you got, you had the issue where a technician was hypersensitive to something. They think they jumped it and hurt something. Mm-hmm. Customers are the same way. We get it. We actually wrote up a sheet that says that, you know, Mr. Mr. Vehicle, Mr. And Mrs. Vehicle owner, we, we should probably change that now. It's 2021. Him, hey, them, they're <laughs> something vehicle owner. They, <laughs> We've we've turned on or turned off certain of the advanced driver assist features to test them in your vehicle after repair. You know, please be sure to set them back to how you had them. We do our best to do that, but it's possible something was left on or something was left off. And we do that because the first couple ones we did, we would we would test all the stuff after it was done. So we we would turn on lane departure and we maybe I'm like, oh crap, did they have it on lane departure warning or did they have it on lane departure assist? Yeah. Like I can't remember. Like, well, we'll just leave it on the full everything. We'd get a customer, a shop, and call. Hey, the customer said that uh, when they're driving out, pulls to the left, and we think there's a problem. We go drive. There's nothing wrong, but they drive too close to the right-hand side of the road, sure. and the car pulls back, and we find out they never had that on. They just had warning on. And now we have assist turned on. And so, you know, you, you learn a lot of that stuff doing it. There's, so, I, I mean, I really should have wrote down everything that we had to change because I could have had just an awesome manual for, like, <laughs> starting out. But unfortunately... I just, you know, we just kind of fixed things as we went along and yeah. It's pretty interesting. We had, we had a lot of a lot of hurdles to jump over the years that we, since we've been doing it. Yeah, you're you're constantly going through uncharted territory, right? Like like you said there's yeah. no user's manual besides the service info, but for what you're doing specifically, there's no guidebook to exactly how to do this. You're you're making it. You're you're the <laughs> the pioneer for this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say the pioneer. There's definitely guys have been doing it longer than me, but I think in the combination of things I'm doing, I don't really have anyone to reach out to for sure. Right. Trying to do brick and mortar and run multiple guys on the road, doing all of guys and gals doing all of the things, you know, doing keys and a mobilizer and refrigerant and ADOS and programming and diag and everything but repair. Uh huh. So, well, I got to imagine. And that's got its own challenges too. So, even outside of your business, I'm sure you have people calling you all the time for help on stuff too. So you said you got three or four phones. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's 
that's that's probably my least favorite part of this is I really like to help people. Uh-huh. And that's kind of like how the website started. But then now I I can't I can't help everyone. So I probably I, 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 I don't I'm not lying. I probably get 40 calls or messages a day between Facebook and text messages asking for someone to for me to help them real quick. And it's it's overwhelming right. on its own. And I feel so bad about it, but I have to I have to draw draw the line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why the website started. And then and then it's gotten to where it's created the pro- it's made the problem worse. So now more people need help and want help. And and so I, I've gotten to where I, I had to draw the line. And I, I can only imagine what like Paul Danner feels like or, or some of these other guys that have like massive YouTube channels. Yeah, millions. They're doing this. I know they get hundreds of calls. Like like Erico is a pretty good friend of mine. I talk to him pretty regularly. And I want to say he he got to where he was getting a couple hundred phone calls a day at his shop from people on the internet. <laughs> you got to think the guy's got almost six hundred thousand YouTube subscribers, Jeez. and the name of his channel is the name of his shop, and it's got a phone number that's just on Google, right? <laughs> so he now has a phone system that if it's not a local area code, it goes directly to a voicemail. Okay, and he has and and he goes through and listens to them to see if they're out of town people that are in town that are really trying to schedule. Yeah, and he gets some of the craziest messages people just like i i feel like i have it pretty bad just because i'm getting you know 40 or so messages a day but i i, I can only imagine what his inbox looks like I, it's got to be ridiculous i suppose yeah because you're i think with what you're doing with your website it's a little bit more focused you know to people who are really into this yeah. and then his is going to be a much broader audience of just anybody who has a car <laughs> yeah the guy does videos on bricks yeah. <laughs> like so <laughs> yeah that's it's just i can only imagine what he's trying to deal with right. so you know and i my thing is is i've i've made a lot of friends like that i want to help especially um there's lots of guys a lot of guys are just starting out and doing this mobile stuff and and they message me every day too and i try to hit those ones the guys i personally know i try to answer them back but there are just hundreds of unread messages on my Facebook Messenger, and I just can't. I, I I couldn't physically get to all of them, and I feel bad about everyone. So, I just, I don't know. It's so crazy that 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 would be a full time job alone just trying to do that. And I even contemplated that. You know, in the beginning of the website, I was like, "Hey, I'll offer an option where someone can pay and I can help them." And then that was so overwhelming that it wasn't worth it. I was like, "Oh man, I'm, I could do this, but I could only do this." And I just uh, I've got too many other too many other duties to take care yeah. of. So I've all but dropped that personalized support situation. I mean, I, I love answering, I love answering emails. Like I like getting the, I have an email dedicated towards questions, mm-hmm. you know, and I love doing those. I love taking those emails and turning them into videos, but even, I don't know, lately I've kind of gotten that YouTube lull where I haven't made a video in like two, two or three months. Um, just too much going on between the shop and mobile business and started taking on some corporate training accounts like, uh, only one of them I'm allowed to talk about right now, like Pull Apart Incorporated, the, the uh, junkyard place. They have like 35 yards across the country. Okay. Um, they wanted to start doing programming, so I've been building curriculum for them, and I'm going to be going to Georgia to train them. And I've got a couple, a couple commercial accounts like that that are that are big corporations, and it's just keeping up with that alone is hard. I bet. Let alone running all this other stuff. Well, tell tell me or the list anybody listening about your website too, because I wanted to talk about that and what you got going on there, because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, so um, l1training.com's website, and I basically 
like I started with doing, you know, the YouTube videos and, and constantly trying to do that. And it, it got difficult to help answer those questions to, te- to technicians because it was difficult to decide who I was helping right there on, on a comment, a technician or whatever. So I was like, you know what, I'll start. I'm going to be building this curriculum and building these classes and kind of teaching them around. And I was doing that. I was teaching classes at, at events. And I was like, you know, it'd be nice is if I could field these classes beforehand. So I started making videos as I was writing a class. I would teach that section of the class. I started hosting it on the website. And I started first um, on the paid format of that on Patreon. And then Paul Danner went through his issue with YouTube when they just like wiped out premium, Mm -hmm. like in a short period of time. And, you know, his whole, all of his income was that. I think he had already um, quit being a full-time instructor at Rosedale and he was doing just a YouTube premium and they dropped it from underneath him. So he lost, you know, thousands of dollars, of his, all of his income basically. Jeez. And it was because he was holding on that. So he, I had talked to him the week that happened. He reached out to me and was like, Hey man, you need to take all your stuff off YouTube <laughs> was, or get all your paid po- format stuff. I was like, Oh, I'm using Patreon. He's like, it's the same thing. You're someone else's control of all of that and he was right you know someone else's control in control of the entire setup they could at any point in time change the whole uh structure to where you are basically blocked out of it and they're hosting all your videos and and stuff so that's why i started the website i found a a hosting um a video hosting software so it's it's i'm paying for you know the videos to be hosted and i can embed those behind the the paywall on the website but i'm in control of all of it i own the domain I, all the billings done through PayPal, so I guess that's one thing I'm relying on. But, but it was better this way because now I don't have to worry about Patreon or YouTube just stopping that program and and not having mm-hmm. that. So I, I did that and created the website, and I was like, you know, I could do more than videos. And we started. Um, I did a a class. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was advanced electrical class or it was an EPROM class. I think it was an EPROM class we did. And somebody said, hey. Um, I had, I had to chart up my computer. I was, Liz was asking me about some programming and I had this, we have this internal document and I brought it up and I was like, oh yeah, for that Ford PCM of that year, um, or body control module, we do have to have the two keys and two remotes and all. And I went through this chart and one of the guys was like, what is that? I was like, oh, it's just this internal document we make every time we run into a, a, a not common, you know, if you're doing an engine control module, you know, you have to program it and you, know, you probably have to do theft. But if there's something beyond that, like, if you replace the body control and the engine control on a push button start GM, you have to have two keys. Okay. So you have to have two new keys. So we would write that into a chart. So like this is an exemption of a normal standard procedure or uh, Chrysler's. If someone has replaced the engine control module, but they didn't run a PCM replace function, when you replace the wireless control module, the secret key data is wrong. So that's why the keys don't relearn to a, to a new win, WCM. So, we had, we had learned that okay. over time. So we put this into a chart like, hey, leave the old WCM hooked up, do a PCM replace so it transfers the secret key data to the PCM. So when you replace the WCM, it pulls the correct secret key data so the secret key data matches the keys, the WCM, and the PCM. Gotcha. So that was like, I still get that one all the time. So we have that all in a chart to don't forget to do these things. And one of the guys in the class was like, what is that? <laughs> and I told him what it was. And he's like, why isn't that on the website? And I'm like... I don't know. That's a good idea. So <laughs> I put that on and then that was, I don't know, months and months ago we started, I was like, Hey, there's all kinds of resources like this we should do. So let's make a tab on how to look up Hyundai and Kia variant coding for 
um, airbag control modules. We get that question a lot. And let's look up, make a resource on on this. And here's this customer sheet that we use when we ask someone about intermittent problems. And here's you know so on and so forth. So we just started trying to build it into a resource. But yeah, that's what it's kind of become is anytime I can create content. So we've we've got I don't know sixty or so plus hours of video content on there. That's classes from electrical to programming, a little bit of ADOS, some keys. Um, all kinds of stuff, lots of programming, obviously. Yeah. And then got, I've got a lot more to come. Um, but like I said, right now we're, we have a new guy. It's only two months in our shops being moved. We actually sold our house too. We're moving, um, all at the same time. Matter of fact, if I don't know if you can hear in the background, but I can hear Liz taping a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the other room. I well, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm moving actually this weekend out of my place. So I, I know the feeling there, but oh. I don't have half the other stuff going on. So, um, yeah. Yes. But yeah, so the website at one training, we got a ton of stuff on there. The pro- um, we do a monthly subscription. The programming videos on there. Um, whenever mm-hmm. I, whenever you had started, I was watching through those, and that was like right before the summer when I first tried the mobile thing for programming and stuff. And I just did GM Chrysler Ford um, and eased my way into Nissan. But honestly, like the reason I felt comfortable going out to shops and telling them I could do this stuff is because I watched all your videos like three times. I'm like, okay, I got this. I can figure this out. Um, yeah, no, it was, (laughs) it was huge for me. Um, and it's really, really detailed. And also like the, uh, the hurdles that you're going to run into along the way, like you're going to get here and the job is not going to do this or the file is not going to download or internet browser this and that and you know those kinds of things that you're gonna run into and service information is not necessarily going to help you with um so yeah really really good information i'd if anybody's interested in getting into that stuff check it out it's awesome yeah that was that was why i kind of did it like when you when you look back and you go all right i'm gonna program this nissan where do i start like if you don't have anything to tell you where to start, you wouldn't like you don't even know what website to go to, what the software looks like, what you would have to have hardware wise. Yeah. You wouldn't know that you got to buy a subscription for this and download the file, and those are two separate charges, and where to go and how to look it up, and it's just it's mind boggling to think of some guys are out there figuring this out without help, right? Like those are the guys who are like super rock stars. Yeah. Like if you're figuring it out without help, you're awesome because. <laughs> I had to have someone show me a lot of this and then, then a lot of reading and researching and it's, it's not worth the time investment on your own. That's for sure. Yeah. That, that's the thing is you can struggle through something and spend all night on something and finally maybe figure it out. Or you can pay, you know, however many dollars a month to, to a website like yours or somebody else's or whatever. And just here's the, how to do it. Sweet. I, I, you know, I've, I've had to learn over the years that that's the way to do, that's how you make money is just, okay, let me have somebody, I'll pay somebody, explain it to me. And then I can go make (laughs) money with that information. That's, it's the way to go for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and now for me, the, the onus is on me to keep the stuff up because like my guys take the training all the time and what they'll come in one morning and be like, Hey, I was watching this video last night you need to change how you explain this because it's terrible. <laughs> so there have been like lots of edits on videos. Okay. And from from the guys that work for me, they're like, you blew through this way too fast. You've never covered this before. We don't have the foundational understanding of this. 
you know, because sometimes when you're anyone that's been listening to this can tell I, I can just rant. I can just talk. I'm barely letting Sean talk on his own podcast. <laughs> and, and that's how I am. So sometimes on training, I'll get that way. I'll, I'll start going off on this tangent and then forget that I haven't built a foundation for this yet and, and just blow through some subjects. Yeah. So I, uh, that's my big thing. So that's why those, there's many times you'll see me cover the same thing in like five different videos. Cause it's probably important. And I feel like that needs to be said a lot. So well, that's, uh, on that it's programming stuff too, it changes every three months too. So that's got to be tough to have a <laughs> yeah. video up that you did a really awesome job on, and then they change it. Like, oh. <laughs> I got to redo that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I had just gone through that video has changed so many times, and the first time that I went through, I was really proud of myself for doing like a big long video, and it was seven hours long. I did the whole class, and I just time stamped it all, and then the like. Literally a month later, I had to change something, and I was like, oh, man, I got to, like, get back into that section and then edit it in and swap that whole video. So then a few months ago, I, I broke it into all the different videos. So now I could just go back and redo one section and, and replace that one section. Nice. A little more seamless okay. than having to re-edit a seven-hour video and, like, click the render button and wait four hours for it to finish <laughs> rendering in high def. So I could re and then re-upload the whole video, and I was like, oh. Yeah. It's it's real easy to just say this section again and change the one thing in the one slide, but but then you got to think about the time it takes to like re-render a seven hour video and then re-upload it. Yeah, <laughs> like it takes forever. So so I start breaking them into that, and I I think I'm gonna spend a lot of time. I got to finish up this one PCM class we're doing online that I haven't made a video on in three months. So the class went for a while and then just stopped. <laughs> I got to finish that up, but then I'm gonna be spending most of my time redoing all of the classes into that format where it's not live. I like doing the classes live, but then I'm going to re-record them as a, like a studio version. Like I have the programming so I can get all the riffraff stuff out and my tangents that I go off on and okay. all the me drinking beer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, that is fun though, is to sit in, you know, on a live class. I, I know that, I tried to get into as many live ones as I could, um, you know, busy in life. And so I'd watch them later, but you know, to be able to shoot questions and just be involved with the person that's doing it, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good element to have, uh, for the training. Um, I, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. It was a small group with you too. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like a CTI class where maybe there's, I don't know, three, 400 people watching. You got, I don't know how many you made. You, you could tell me, but I felt like there's like, you know, 20 people in there and you could yeah. interact. Yeah, there's 20 forth. to 40 people. Okay. Yeah. 20 to 40 people max. They would watch it live. Um, it was a couple hundred subscribers. And so we only get 20 to 40 lives. It's great because then everyone could ask whatever question they needed to ask. It didn't matter if it was related to the, to the content we were teaching at the moment. Like I would be able to answer it. Yeah. And it's, if you go back and watch any of the live ones, there is always like, hey, I'm looking at buying this tool. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And that is by far the most common questions that I get. So like I have I have a whiteboard here in the office and it's got like all these video ideas and I have a ton of them right now. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a lot once I get this stuff panned out. Really once in about two weeks when I get the shop done under construction, being completely done, then I'll be doing a lot more video content. And I have a ton of scan tool videos 
trying to redo that, you know, what's the best scan tool video and trying to do it much better quality than what it was done. Like that video is really old and really bad. It's hard to watch. Um, but that's what I get asked all the time is about tools. What tools should I buy? So that's probably what a lot of the content is going to be. I just feel like that's the number one question. So every time I get asked anywhere, like most of the podcast, it's all about tools, tools and equipment. Yep. I think it's because there's just so many questions, so many of them out there. Yeah. Right. I, I, and it's, it's not, there's no easy answer for it. It's overwhelming to sort through everything, especially when maybe three tools yes. will actually do the same thing. How do you, how do you pick between those? Um, yeah. That, that is that is a really really tough thing. I, I struggle with it too because I don't want to spend, I don't want to spend an you know two hours looking for something and feel like I kind of wasted my time because well, okay it didn't really matter which direction I went, but maybe I'll miss out on something if I don't read. You know this tool will do exactly what I'm looking for. Okay, I'm glad I spent the time. That's that's a tough one, but there are so many options and so much information available to out there right now it would be uh, i'm sure a lot of people would really go for that if there was videos just saying here here's here's yeah. what's out there he, i've done the research here's here's what this tool does or here's what you need for this yeah when i go through all those emails i've got like i said i got that one it's tech questions um at l1training.com is the email address and anyone's welcome to send questions to it. And I use that to make videos a lot. And if I was to go through that, I would say like a vast majority of them are, Hey, will this tool do X, Y, Z? Gotcha. And that's, and I've, I've completely abstained from doing those videos. Cause there's just, it's so hard. Everything is like a sales pitch is what it feels like. Yeah. You're like, you should buy this tool for this. And I think a lot of people need to realize I do have a ton of these companies that will send me their tools, but that doesn't have any bearing on me telling someone to buy one. Like, mm-hmm. um, I did a podcast with, um, Carm not too long ago. That I don't think it's been released yet. And it was a lot about scan tools, me and Fanslow and Bill Nalu. And, um, we, we, when we got done, like Bill was like, man, you guys recommended Autel a lot. They give you tools. I'm like, they did give us tools, but I'm telling you, like, like it's an awesome tool. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta get one. And it's just one of those things where so much of, of the stuff, there's there's too many nuances. I don't know how many times we went through it, and it was, uh, yeah, but then on this one thing, you're going to have to buy an iScan, or on this, you're going to have to buy uh, a G-Scan or an Autologic or whatever. And, like, it's it's so difficult, like, to answer those questions because it's almost always, which tools should you buy? And you're like, all of them, whatever you can afford. <laughs> just yep. buy all of them. <laughs> like, it's, it never ends. I Every... Every month we buy some new tool and it's just, I'm so over it. <laughs> I'm so over spending money on tools. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that you have all the scan tools or, or not yet? <laughs> not yet. There's some Bosch ones I don't have that I see literally no, no benefit to owning. Sure. But yeah, there's, that's a Matt Fazel likes making that joke a lot. Um, I think he just did it the other day in another, in another Facebook chat. Somebody asked about a scan tool. He's like, well, if Keith Perkins or John Rogers has it, it's probably worth getting. <laughs> like, that's not a fair assessment because we, Matt asked us to like, Matt asked me to write out all the tools I had. And we got to like 80 something tools. He's like, all right, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where we're at. That's where it's going to leave it at that. <laughs> it was bad. But, you know, we find out when you're doing, when you're the guy that everyone calls to program something or do it because they can't. Yep. You're like, hey, we need you to come 
do X, Y, Z. I'm like, no one else can do it. I'm like, yeah, I did buy the tool to do it. It's just really expensive. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of them that there's no ROI on, but being able to do it, being able to do it the one time kind of strokes ego a little. So you'll, you'll, you'll spend the money. Sure. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> there is something to that, to be able to be the guy in that situation that nobody else can yeah. get this, whatever it is done. Oh yeah, I got, I got that tool. We, we can make it happen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you, when you go to look at it, we, and I talk about a lot and I, I say it a lot and I'll say to everyone, this is not like a super cheap endeavor to go mobile and, um, have somewhere north of $370,000 of tools. Wow. Um, and it's, yeah, it's overwhelming when you look at it and like, we, cause we started every year we redo our stuff for insurance to make sure everything's covered and, you know, a van gets smashed into or something. I need to know if some micropod goes 500 foot that way. <laughs> you know, I need to be able to like w- inventory this thing and be like, oh, we're missing this. Yeah. You know, and a lot of these tools are small. I, I use the micropod because it's like the one thing I'm afraid of losing. I'm like, I really don't want to lose this $2,000 thing that's like this big. Yep. <laughs> so we've got like big yellow lanyards on ours in addition to the factory ones. And so we go through that. And when I got done doing the inventory like January this year, I was, I was almost upset how much money we had spent to acquire all the tools. Right. I was like, I could have bought a really nice house <laughs> with this much money, but I couldn't have made it without those tools. Exactly. You know? So that's yeah. Without without yeah, the, as much as we spend on them, the ones you already bought. Um, yeah. Yeah. You gotta you gotta pay money to make money. I guess spend spend to make. That's what it yeah, is. It does get bad when you when you realize. We looked and we counted the other day. I'm like, why do I have six VCM twos? <laughs> <laughs> we literally have six. I was like, I have three vans and one shop location. Why do we have two extra VCM twos? <laughs> and we had we had ordered one. It's, it, that has happened now. It has now happened when we forget where we have a multi thousand dollar tool and buy another one because <laughs> we're loading the van out. <laughs> So yeah, it gets bad. It, it gets it gets pretty bad. So anyone out there that thinks they have a tool problem, just wait till you go mobile and add a couple vans that have a little bit of everything in them. Yeah, that was one thing that I was I was looking into hiring somebody uh, this summer, and that was my biggest challenge. Is like I have to buy double of everything, or you know, split up between two vans. But a lot of stuff yeah. I would have had to buy a second. Um, you know, all, all of this stuff that I have and that, that kind of just set me back for a moment. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I'm quite ready to do that investment yeah. because I've done it. I've done it over time. Like, you know, I'll buy the GM I'll do those and then I'll buy the Chrysler and this and that. And to do it all at once is, uh, it's a big investment for sure. You got to really be committed and know that you're going to yeah. be sick. Well, I can't say know that you're going to be successful, but know that you're going to give it everything you got to be successful. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a risk, but that's, I, that's what one of the businesses, right? Yeah. And I would stress to guys to try not to go into debt buying tools. Um, I have, I have one large kit of equipment that I purchased that I, that I, le- that I have a lease agreement on, on having it and everything else we've paid for as we've gone. Um, 
And I did the same thing at the beginning. Like with the second van, it was split up. It was like, all right, I've got Ford and Chrysler today. Here's the you know, here's the car deck and stuff. Go do some GMs and here's your Diag box. Go do some Diags. In the beginning, it was two of us. And then with each amount of, you know, extra profit we had built and was able to save back above our our minimum amount, we would we would invest in more equipment and we're still doing that now. So that's kind of we have a list on the board of what we need more of and mm-hmm. You know, Nissan's really expensive, but we do so many of them. So we're we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place right now, hoping console Art R gets fixed at the same time rather than having to buy another $3,000 console VI because we have Cardac 3s in all of the vans already. Mm. Um, we have four Cardac 3 Pluses, and so we have one in each van and one set at the shop. Because now it gets to where our concern is, is like we have one – if we when we had one console VI, like if it breaks – we were yeah. stuck. So we had to get a second one. And then you go, well, we have two. And do we buy a third? But that's, you get to where you're close to 15 grand in Nissan tools. And you're kind of, you're like, all right, this is, this is plenty. <laughs> we, we will make this work. Right. We'll just divvy all the Nissan jobs to these two guys or this one guy. Uh-huh. So that's our, that's our big thing is what do we, what do we buy next? You know, so we're constantly talking about that as a team. Sure. Like what do what do we see a need for? What are we sharing the most? What do we what do we have to go meet each other halfway through a day to switch tools for? Right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've based for mine and my my mobile thing is pretty small scale scale compared to what you have. But it's just what do I, what am I getting phone calls for? Right. What am I having to say no to mm-hmm. repeatedly? And that's actually why I bought the Nissan tool, the console, is because I kept getting calls on Nissan reprogrammings and then uh tcms transmissions yeah Uh, all the time i'm like okay and (laughs) honestly so i watched your video on the nurse thing and i could have done it with it but i'm like that looks that looks like a freaking hassle so i just i spent the money (laughs) on consult and i went that way with it which even then it's not the easiest thing in the world but it's at least i don't know it's not not quite as much messing around as the nurse setup. Yeah, it's a lot more stable and it's, you know, made a little more user friendly. And even even with it, you still got to deal with the files, uh-huh. which makes me mad because the dealer level, they get a CD every like three weeks that they put in and press and it downloads from fast downloads all the files on their on the laptops. They have all the files all the time. Mm. They don't have to deal with all that crap. They do go into fast and they put the VIN number in and it's like, oh, it's supposed to be this ROM ID and that's it. They don't have to do all the hoops that we have to go through to figure out what the right file okay. is. It's frustrating that no matter how much money I'm willing to spend, I still get caught up like waiting on a configuration file from Tweedle when the dealer can just like go into fast and press the button, download it on a flash drive, walk over to the to the consult and put it in there. <laughs> yeah. And I'll call my dealer and I'm like, hey, man, can you just like download this fast file for me? He's like, oh, no, we can't give you this fast file. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to submit this email and they're going to email it to me. Why can't you just give it <laughs> <Right>? to me? <laughs> it's- it's so frustrating. It's from the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Some dude has the same thing you have. He's just going to email it to me. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, you got anything else for me? No, no. It's great to get on here and, and talk at you while you listen. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs>
Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, one more big thank you to Keith for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, really enjoyed being able to talk with him here. And want to thank everyone else for listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. But with that all out of the way, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time. Thank you.